For confidence in your financial plan, look for a CFP professional. When your financial advisor earns the CFP certification, it means he or she is trained to provide ethical financial planning across a holistic range of topics, from retirement and investing to taxes and estate planning, all in your best interest. So with a CFP professional, you'll feel confident in your financial plan today and tomorrow. Three letters do make a difference. Visit letsmakeaplan.org to find your CFP professional. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Hey, it's great to have you here today. This is the Imagine More Success radio show. It's the all about you show with successful entrepreneurs and business experts sharing their stories and their powerful takeaways while providing you with the tips, tools, tactics, and a free weekly gift to help you thrive. Your hosts for the Imagine More Success radio show are the best-selling authors, Cindy Hendricks, a certified business consultant, and Thomas Hydes, a certified world-class public speaking coach. Check out the Imagine More Success radio show at imaginemoresuccess.net because now is the time to realize your dreams and to imagine more success. Hey, thanks for joining us today. It's a real pleasure to have you with us today. We're gonna have a really fun episode because we've got someone who's super interesting to me, uh, <laughs> someone who never fails to deliver the goods. And uh, Cindy, we've been talking about this, uh, having this show for quite some time. We got it booked and- uh, Yes, it, it, I'm so excited, cool. I can't wait. Yeah, you know, what we're talking about, what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be talking to uh, someone that I hold near and dear. Her name is Siria Gutierrez. She is the co-host of a really awesome podcast called Pivotal Moments. And we're going to be talking about a lot of different topics today, but we're going to be talking a lot about identity and about career and how you identify yourself, whether it's with, whether it's with your career or whether it is... Uh, based upon something else that you do and how it affects your entire life. And so today we're going to be touching on a lot of different topics. A lot of times people, uh, if you ask them, who are you or what 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 is it about you that really stands out? The first thing they lead with is what it is they do for for work or what their career is or, or what job it is that they hold at the time. And we're going to talk about how that impacts not just your life, but how it impacts the people around you as well. So without further ado, we want to go ahead and welcome Siria Gutierrez. Siria, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Thomas, for having me and for the kind words. Absolutely. I want to take a moment and just kind of give you a little bit of a background about Siria. I want to tell you a few things about her. Um, Siria Gutierrez is not just a lawyer, but she does happen to be a lawyer. And uh, she works for Bighorn Law here in Las Vegas. And she's also an advocate for mental health awareness and wellness for an advocate for women's rights, as well as a rising thought leader. And she also describes herself as a total nerd. But I don't know if I would go <laughs> that far. I would not call her a nerd at all. <laughs> but she does have a few other really interesting things that I want to tell you about. She's the co-host of Pivotal Moments podcast, which is a, a new podcast that's sharing, kind of exploring, and celebrating the stories of change, or really that big P word that everyone's been talking about since the other P word, the pandemic started. Everyone's been talking about pivoting, so I love the title. Um, she actually is an entrepreneur, in, in as well as being an associate at Bighorn Law, handling some very complex personal injury and medical malpractice cases. And uh, she used to be on the dark side of what she calls the law practicing insurance defense and pivoted to the light practicing personal injury and representing people. 
And along the way, she did become an advocate, like I said, for mental health and self-care professionals. We've got a lot to cover today. So, Siria, let's jump right in. I want to ask you first, tell me a little bit about your childhood and, and how you ended up going down the, the path that led you here. Well, uh, how much time do you got? Uh, Take your time. <laughs> no, so, uh, you know what? I, I actually grew up in a pretty turbulent household. And my house uh, were, first of all, we're immigrants from Central America. And uh, my mom came over here and she didn't have anybody. She didn't have any kind of network. Uh, she didn't speak the language. I didn't speak the language until I went into kindergarten. So Spanish is actually my first language. And it was it was just a very turbulent time growing up. And I thought for the longest time that I would actually be a therapist due to that turbulence. There was a lot of uh, domestic violence, drug abuse, and things that just, um, you know, I'm sure you guys have probably talked about the adverse childhood experience exam, the ACE score. I score very... I score very high. Uh, I, I score in the in the in the seven to eight range on there, and so um, that's for for people familiar with that. It's it's an exam that tells you, hey, you know what? You probably had a lot of trauma, and it's going to indicate you're probably going to have a lot of health problems down the line. It's not a correlation, but it is something that uh, that doctors can look at to perhaps explain some things that are going on. So I thought for the longest time, you know, I'm going to be a therapist. I'm going to, I'm going to figure out what's wrong with people and go down that road. And for whatever reason, uh, when I was a teenager, I had a conversation where my dad was asking, and we never had these conversations. We never sat around the table and asked, you know, how was school or uh, what do you, what do you want to do when you grow up? But But for some reason this night we did. And I mentioned that I wanted to be a psychologist and my dad completely threw it down. He was like, nope, you're not going to make any money. That's like the worst decision ever. And I, I was young and very impressionable. And to this day, I don't know how that swayed me. But I was like, well, my, my dad thinks this is a bad idea. So I guess I better find something else. And that's when I started looking. And this was before the internet. So I would read the uh, paper at the pizza place I was working at and I was just kind of seeing what would jump out and you know it's like this is what grown-ups do right they read the newspaper to get informed (laughs) and yeah so I did that and the the criminal section started popping out and there were a lot of different things going on at the time I grew up in California and um poly class is murderer was going on trial um there was the the guy who um who slaughtered the women up in Yosemite and he was on oh, a yes. spree there. So there was all these different things going on and it just captured my attention as, as it does a lot of people. Right. And so I was like, I'm going to go to law school. I'm going to go put people in jail. I'm going to represent the state. And that was my path um, up and through law school, uh, through the last recession. And, uh, you know, I didn't know any lawyers. I'd never met a lawyer. I met my first lawyer the first week of law school. And I just stumbled along the way. And that's, that's kind of how I ended up in the, uh, in the law. That's really fascinating because I've heard, I hear stories like that. I mean, my own personal story is kind of like that as well. It's funny. I, jumped into singing opera at age 17. I don't think I'd ever heard an opera at that point, which is kind of hilarious. And so whenever I hear that, when I hear about people taking on the challenge of moving into a brand new, uh, to a brand new career that no one else in their family has been close to, especially if it's a move into what's considered a a white collar, a super high end kind of career being an attorney. Um, Let's talk a little bit about how, how you felt when you started that process. Did you kind of feel like you were out on an island by yourself or did uh, you feel disadvantaged in any way or? I, th- I think there, there was definitely times where it was, I'm taking one step and I hope this is the right direction. Uh, for instance, the LSAT, the law school admissions test that everybody has to take. I took it and I got a score that when I looked at the statistics didn't look great and I was like well I guess I, I, I guess I can't apply and so I decided to take a year off to study some more and I retook the test and my score went up a little bit but not enough to really make that huge impact had I had a mentor or somebody in the field who could have just told me 
apply anyways. Who cares? I could have shortened that window. So I ended up taking, instead of taking one year off between undergrad and law school, I took two, which isn't a huge amount of time, but it was because of that lack of guidance along the way. And so having to figure out, hey, you know, people are going to do better if you actually take a prep course. Okay, well, how do you, how expensive are prep courses? I had to, uh, you know, some of my early negotiation skills included asking my parents uh, to give me their tax return to pay for that course. And <laughs> they did twice. Wow, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think there, there are definitely a lot of moments. I think the higher you go up in education, especially as a minority, uh, the less people you see like yourself. And that was something that I picked on very early on. I went to a junior college before I transferred to UCLA. And when I was there, I entered the honors program. And that was something that I saw as well. I was like, wait, I can't be the only Hispanic person at this community college with a 3.0 or above who can be in this program. Like that blew my mind. But the further along that I went, the more and more I see, yeah, there's just not a a whole lot of people. So oftentimes it, it does feel like you're the only one. And so that's why I just think representation and mentoring the next generation is super important to me. Yeah. Cindy, you've done quite a bit of mentoring. I mean, t- tell me a little bit about, um, so did you finally find that mentor, Syria? Did you find someone who kind of led you down the right path? Uh, I did early on. I found a I found a mentor actually in my junior college. He was my counselor at the time. There was a program that was especially designed for low income students, and one of the st- strings that was attached was that you had to go meet with a counselor and basically get um, academic help, and they would orient you on the classes. And he was really the first person who took an interest in my education. And was also the first person to just challenge me. And every single time I came up with something negative, uh, he would be like, well, well, why not? Including that honors program that I was talking about. Uh, when he mentioned it as a way to you know, boost me and uh, give me more possibilities when I wanted to transfer to some of these universities, he was like, well, why don't you do the honors program? I was like, me? You think I could do honors? And he's like, yes, yes, you can. Why not? And that that why not portion that was huge, and it, I still carry that with me now because I'm I'm probably a little bit too bold for my britches at times, and I just ask. <laughs> well, you know, you know what I find fascinating, even more so than his answer to to you was your answer to him, which originally was me, which is something we're going to get into today. We're going to be talking about identity. And in your own personal identity at that point in your life, you didn't feel like that was something that was a part of your future or a part of something that you could be doing at the time. Well, you know what, when when we were, when Thomas and I were writing a course, it was interesting that he brought up um, to give permission to people in the course. And I thought that was interesting because a lot of people need that permission because they don't know that they have the right to have and want whatever they want. Exactly. I mean, I think permission is huge and him just kind of flipping it back because I I knew I wanted to do these things, but I didn't know how. And even when he mentioned he was the person that through the little, um, uh, the little nugget of going to UCLA, I, I did the same thing. I was like, me? Really? You think so? He's like, yeah, why not? And, and and I got in and, you know, the first time I saw the campus was actually when I went to freshman orientation uh, at that time. I think if I had gone beforehand and actually did one of those tours, I would have been way too intimidated. It's a huge campus. Um, it's in, you know, a huge metropolitan city. But yeah, having having that person just flip it back on you and, just say, hey, well, what? Why not? Why not you? And and then you can't come up with a reason. I mean, exactly. And look at all of you, all that you've accomplished. And I can't wait to have you share with us later in the show because you have had some major accomplishments for someone who was timid starting out. Thank you. Yeah, I'm happy to dive in wherever you guys want. Well, I want to take a moment and and go back to this idea of identity just for a couple of minutes. Um, Tell me a little bit about how you saw yourself and how, and and since you've been doing a podcast and you interview people all the time as an attorney, what exactly do you see um, affecting people's identity and therefore affecting their outcomes? Well, I think for for myself and I think for a lot of um, 
your listeners probably as well, we get so wrapped up in that our career is our identity. And the legal profession suffers from this, where you're just everything is wrapped up into it. And I think one of the gifts of the pandemic for myself has been really appreciating that removal of of that. And there are separate things. Yes, I happen to be a lawyer, but I'm not just a lawyer. I have all of these other things. And once I was able to uh, not have my whole identity wrapped up in my career, I, I just felt at peace almost. And things, you know, the, the losses and wins, they don't affect me the same way as they did when I was a baby lawyer. When I was a baby lawyer, everything was super dramatic and it was the end of the world if something went wrong and now I'm just like no most of those things can get fixed and it's not a reflection on who I am as an individual and I think that that's why I'm so passionate about mental health and trying to help the profession because I think that too many um, too many people getting themselves wrapped up so much in their careers is is very unhealthy you've definitely seen a lot of negative effects on that and it's not to say that it's a bad thing completely like yeah it can be part of your identity but if you make it your whole world uh, there's so many more facets to us as people and it really does corrupt everything else or Siri that that sounds that sounds beautiful and when we come back in just a couple of minutes we're going to touch on a few more topics including a little bit more about mentorship a little bit more about identity but we are going to get into talking about her new podcast which has some really great episodes so do stick around we'll be back in just a couple minutes For confidence in your financial plan, look for a CFP professional. When your financial advisor earns the CFP certification, it means he or she is trained to provide ethical financial planning across a holistic range of topics, from retirement and investing to taxes and estate planning, all in your best interest. So with a CFP professional, you'll feel confident in your financial plan today and tomorrow. Three letters do make a difference. Visit letsmakeaplan.org to find your CFP professional. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Welcome back to the Imagine More Success radio show with Cindy and Thomas. Today we are kind of running the gamut today with our guest, Siria Gutierrez, who is an attorney that works at Bighorn Law in Las Vegas, as well as a podcast host of the new podcast, Pivotal Moments. And uh, Siria, earlier we were talking about some really wonderful things that I love to talk about and, and to work on with clients, mentorship, identity. Um, you talk about one thing that's really important in your life that's helped you to get the outcomes that you've wanted, and that's to participate in therapy. Tell me a little bit about your experience with that and how it's helped to shift your, or actually helped you to pivot, especially during the time of the pandemic. You know, I therapy is just something that I'm more than happy to talk about because I think it's so important for people to just realize that hey, this is this is a skill that you're going to learn, and it's no different than going to the doctor if you broke your arm you would go get treatment for that, right? And so for me, um, my I've had a couple different bouts of experience with therapy, but the most consistent uh, started back in 2017. I actually had a pretty major panic attack going to work and I had just started at this new place and I was pretty, 
pretty miserable. And I couldn't understand why, because I thought, Hey, I just got this new job. I'm supposed to be happy. Like this is supposed to, you know, be a good thing. And I was doing one of those ugly cries should not have been driving my car kind of episodes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it just, it made me feel like I, I need to go do something and I need to talk to someone because I, I can't fix whatever this is. And what I love about therapy is that the reason that you go to therapy is not the reason you stay in therapy. Yes. I went thinking it was something work related, but it was so much more about other things that I've had to unpack and deal with. And uh, a couple months ago, actually during the pandemic, my therapist was like, you know, I think, I think you're, good. And I was like, wait, what do you mean? She's like, well, we could go to, into maintenance. I think you're in a really good place. And I was amazed. I was on such a high because I felt like I graduated therapy. I graduated therapy. <laughs> I love like, it. Is that something that people can do? And really it's just been able to, um, to get the skills that I need. So that way in between sessions, I can, uh, use those skills to help me and help myself get out of spirals, get out of um, just a lot of negative thoughts. And really, I think the therapy for me has been very helpful to unpack both the, the trauma of my childhood, but also to unpack a lot of the negative thoughts that I had about myself. Um, and, mm. you know, getting to the land of self-love and self-acceptance has been huge and it's been a huge game changer for me. Um, and I think it's even made this pandemic that much more bearable mm -hmm. because I am in a good spot. You're kind of like well, doing the prep work for it, really. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Thomas, you asked me if I had uh, spent time mentoring. And what you just spoke about, Syria, is interesting because I was in uh, business management across the country for a couple decades. And I always felt in my office when I talked to those that worked for me, I'd say, okay, come in, sit down, put your feet up on the couch and tell me all about it. Because it felt to me like I was giving a therapy session. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. and, and it was so helpful to the people to perform better at their job and be happier in their life after we talked about some of the things that were going on with them. Absolutely. And that, and it also gives you another level of empathy. I firmly believe that me going to therapy has made me a better attorney. I'm much more empathetic to my clients. Not that I wasn't before, but I understand it now. And I bring up the topic of therapy fairly regularly with my clients. If I think it's something that's appropriate that I think, Hey, you know, I know this is really making you angry or depressed. Like I, I can't diagnose this, but guess what? There's some, there are people out there who will help and just kind of talking about it as th this is a tool. It's not a bad thing. I, I don't treat my clients like they're broken because I think that's what a lot of people think when they think about therapy, like, oh, there's something wrong with you. Well, there's things that we all need to unpack. And why not have somebody who can help you walk through that? They're not giving me the answers. They're posing questions to me to help me get to those answers and get to those realizations. It's like, oh, okay. I hadn't thought of that. And, and that's what therapy helps me for. Do you think also that the, the socioeconomic, um, I guess, I guess the ideas about therapy are kind of based on, I guess, just broadly on socioeconomic guidelines. Do you feel like it's more, I feel like people who are maybe of an older generation or maybe who are lower economic status are not necessarily as open to going to therapy. Whereas I see a lot of professionals who, you know, they talk about it openly and they're able to, um, like you are today, talk about it openly and are actually advocates for it. Do you find that that there is that kind of disconnect with a lot of people and that there there's some sort of idea or stigma around going to therapy? It, it, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because I know that um, earlier on in my career, I'd had a, a, one of my colleagues, she'd mentioned going to therapy. I was like, oh, well, that's something I'm going to do in the future. Like I couldn't possibly afford that right now. And then this was, you know, me as an attorney. And she was like, no, 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 this is like, I need, this is like a gym membership for me. Like I need to do this. And I was like, oh, okay. And then um, what, what, what I was fortunate of is when I started this therapy back in 2017, uh, there was actually a school in, in Nevada here in Las Vegas that was offering free counseling and they had this access to the community and they didn't care about your income levels at all. And what you were doing is you were working with a student who was coming up 
And I ended up graduating with that student basically. And now I do pay for counseling, but there are lots of different programs out there that are sliding scales or they're reduced rate. And even with uh, telehealth now that that picking up a lot, there there is access. I think people think it's a, a very expensive process. It, it's not something that's um, always going to be free, but there might be opportunities depending on, on the situation. And so it, it's unfortunate that people think that it is um, a purely financial uh, issue and that only rich people could do it because it, everybody can benefit by these things. And, I, and at the time I was paying off my student loans. So I was not spending money on anything else. I was like, nope, like that was why I, I refused <laughs> to go earlier. Was, you know, when I'm paying all of my income to student loans, like that was not an option. Um, but at this point, you know, I've paid those off and now it's, it's something that I've worked in. Yeah. And I, I think it's so important, um, you know, again, to let go of that stigma of therapy and, you know, no matter where you are in your journey, if you have an opportunity, you know, look for a free resource to start with mm -hmm. if, it's, if it's a financial concern and just jump in because you just don't know what sort of uh, excellent impact it can have on your life. Exactly. And I, I'll add this too, that some insurance actually covers therapy. Uh, so people need to look into their plans and see if that's, if that's an option. Um, so there, there really are more resources out there. I think it's just a matter of people not knowing and, and being afraid of, oh, you know, they're going to psychoanalyze me. They're going to tell me all these things that are wrong with me. No, you, you know, if you don't like the therapist that you first meet, you can find another one. You're not committed to them. That's well, such a good point because you really have to have, a connection with the person that you're sharing such intimate details of your life with so that you can feel safe in that environment. And if you don't have that synergy to, to and trust to work with someone, then the things that are going to be accomplished won't be anywhere near what they could be. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yes. I want to jump into uh, a little bit about your podcast. So um, it's called Pivotal Moments. Um I think how how many episodes do you have now? You have twelve episodes that are up as of right uh, now. We just dropped episode eleven, Sweet. and yeah, so twelve is going to be next week. But uh, yeah, we're eleven episodes in, and uh, we've recorded more, and we've been doing a lot more interviews, and uh, it's an interesting process. I know you guys started off as a podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean. When I saw that, when you first told me the name of the podcast, I just thought it was amazing. Like I said, it, it was very timely as well, uh, because I think so many people are, are simultaneously having their own pivotal moments. Um, and a big part of what you're doing is obviously like listening to people's stories and, and giving them a chance to tell their story. Um, are you finding that a lot of the work that you've done in the past is kind of helping you to to bring out these stories in the in, the, in your guests? I think so. Absolutely. Along with the things that I've learned in therapy, you know, and just really listening, like that's the main thing. And being an attorney, you know, I'm a litigator. So I spend a lot of time asking people questions. And in this setting, they're there voluntarily, right? Uh, they don't actually have to answer my <laughs> questions. Um, but having them there, uh, just just really listening, I, I think, what are they saying? And yes, I mean, we do our prep work beforehand. And, you know, we try to get to know our guests. But I, I really want to see what it's going to come out during that conversation and being present. And I think that that's where um, part of it's therapy and part of it's just being mindful and being in that moment instead of thinking of, oh, here's my next question that I need to ask because I want it to be perfect. No, I stumble a lot. And, you know, my our first episode is called Worlds Create or Words Create Worlds. And I stumbled over it saying it. And our producer was like, I'm keeping it in. And that's the name of the episode because I thought it was just great. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I love I love the name of that. And uh, you really well, you just a, seem a, to have a, an easier jury with your podcast than you do in the courtroom, right? <laughs> uh, absolutely. Everybody there is voluntarily there. And, um, you know, in the in the courtroom, I think, I'm hoping that that'll change. The, I'm working on some really interesting stuff. I can't wait to get into trial probably sometime in 2021, unfortunately. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, everybody's on hold. Mm -hmm. it, it is, but it's, what are you doing in that hold? Yeah. We're pivoting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, in, your, in your podcast, you have... A, an episode where you're talking about um, how frustration is a catalyst for change. It's actually the, the name of the episode. 
and that 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 particular episode really stuck out to me because I just had just literally seen just before you had dropped that episode, someone else had said that frustration was the only catalyst for change or maybe the biggest catalyst for change. And is that is that a part of what caused caused you to want to begin your podcast in the very first place? You know, it's it's a little bit of that, but I'd also say um, fear was probably holding me back for many years. In fact, um, I don't think you know this, Thomas, but I actually had the idea to start a podcast back in like 2018. And I bought my equipment. I had my microphone and I had my little, um, you know, scarlet machine thing where you plug everything yeah, in right. <laughs> and uh, I was I was ready and I was so paralyzed by fear that I literally kept it in the box up until this year. And so I had to get over that. I didn't even open it to play with it. You know, when things come in the mail and you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to play with these new toys. Yeah, I didn't do any of that. I was like, oh, it's here now. What did I do? And the what the pandemic did um, was just I got frustrated with many different things in my life. And when I was reflecting, you know, the frustration, one of the things we talk about on the podcast is it's really the iceberg. You have to it's such a catch all term. You really have to go deep to dig in and figure out what is that emotion that's really behind that frustration? Is it that you're sad? Is it that you're angry? Is it that you're lonely? Whatever it is, it's really going to be something else. Frustration is just easier for us to say. And so for me, it was many different things that were coming up and this idea just kept coming up and I was like, you, you got to do this. You got to do this. And I was fortunate enough uh, like you guys to have a partner and she wanted to work on her own branding. Her name's Melissa Robena. And I was like, well, what do you think? You, you want to do this with me? And you know, that's, that's kind of where it started. It's just yeah. more fun with a partner on the show. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. It makes it a lot easier for sure. And it you does. guys have great synergy too. I mean, have you, were you guys friends for a very long time or did you? Yeah, we'd, we'd met a couple of years ago uh, at the gym. It was an interesting thing because in the mornings, uh, in the early, early mornings, it was basically a bunch of uh, professional women getting ready in the locker room. So that's where we met. It was in the locker room and we have a group of friends that are all, you know, accountants or um, in real estate, just different industries that require you to, if you want to work out, you better do it first thing in the morning. Otherwise, you're not <laughs> yeah, going to do right. it. Yeah. So um, she's the COO of the Center for Appreciative Inquiry. And, you know, we we had this connection and I, I really enjoyed it, too, because it got me out of only talking to lawyers. And that's one of the things I really like about the group that we're in, Thomas, with eWomen. I'm the only lawyer in the group. Um, besides, you know, being a little territorial about that, I just I like <laughs> being around other people and other professions because otherwise lawyers, they get together and all they want to do is talk shop. And I'm like, please tell me there's more to life than cases. Um, <laughs> And when we come back, we're actually going to we're going to do the same thing. We're going to talk a little shop. We're going to talk a little bit more about some podcasting as well as uh, a big topic that's coming up in the next segment, self-acceptance. So when you come back in a few minutes, you'll be hearing more from us on the Imagine More Success radio show. For confidence in your financial plan, look for a CFP professional. When your financial advisor earns the CFP certification, it means he or she is trained to provide ethical financial planning across a holistic range of topics, from retirement and investing to taxes and estate planning, all in your best interest. So with a CFP professional, you'll feel confident in your financial plan today and tomorrow. Three letters do make a difference. Visit letsmakeaplan.org to find your CFP professional. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. 
It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. You're back with the Imagine More Success radio show with Cindy and Thomas. Today, we're still catching up with Sergio Gutierrez, who is uh, the founder and co-host of the Pivotal Moments podcast, as well as an attorney in Las Vegas with Bighorn Law. And one of your favorite quotes is, promise me you'll always remember you're braver than you believe and stronger than you seem and smarter than you think, which, of course, we attribute to Christopher Robin talking to Winnie the Pooh. Um, that wants, that kind of leads us right into, to what I want to talk about in this segment, which is the idea of self-acceptance. Take me on your journey, Syria, of self-acceptance. Well, uh, you know, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but therapy, therapy is a huge part of that. And just realizing, um, that that, that was, was abuse, right? that, yeah, that, well, not even, not only that it was a tool, but it was something that I didn't realize until I went into therapy that I had this strong internal belief firmly rooted in me from my childhood that I was not enough. And that when I got that realization, it was like, oh my gosh, like it, it just hit, it just hit right in the middle of my chest. And it just, was like this chasm opening up of like, yes, you're finally realizing it. And so when my emotional self realized that that's something I was carrying, I was like, well, I need to work on that. And once I started really just working on myself and yeah, I am enough just the way I am, I don't need to uh, accomplish all the things that I have. And, and that's actually one of the things that does happen with people who have a lot of trauma is uh, they can become overachievers because we're seeking that next thing that's going to say, I'm good enough to be loved. I'm worthy of love. And uh, realizing, hey, I, I actually don't have to do these things. I'm worthy because I'm worthy. And so one of the first things that I did once I started really uh, accepting my whole self and really integrating all of my different uh, parts was I actually got a tattoo on my on my forearm. It was the first one that I got that was visible. And it says enough, period. Oh, wow. It's a full sentence. And it was, I was so nervous to do it because for the longest time I was like, well, you know, I can't do that. That's not professional. Tattoos, visible tattoos are not professional. And I, I got over that because I needed to have that reminder of, you know what, I am enough. And so that, that self-acceptance, like that's one story that a lot of people tell themselves over and over again and you, and you don't realize it. And so really for me, that was, that was one of the big turning moments, one of my own pivotal moments, if you will. And I think there's so many people who who maybe don't feel like they're good enough or they are chasing some sort of external validation. They're not really completely 100% aware that they're doing that, but it's affecting them on a very in a very palpable way on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Did you did you find that as you changed that that relationship with yourself, that the relationships you had with other people began to shift as well? Absolutely. Once I had that, I, re I remember my mom would um, would compliment me, you know, because weight is something that is very prevalent in the Latino community and I think overall in American culture. And one of the things that she would say is, oh, te estás poniendo bonita. You're starting to be um, to be pretty is what she told she would say. And as a reflex, I'd be like, yeah, 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 whatever. But once I got to this, uh, I'm enough. I was like, no, mom, like I already am pretty. Like I already am beautiful, and and she she kind of stumbled. She wasn't she wasn't expecting. It. She was like, oh, no, well, that that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. I was like, yeah, but words are powerful. And is that phrase a is that phrase a, a common phrase that's used? Is it like a um, like a colloquialism that, or is that just something that your mom would say? 
I, I think it is something that they would say, but it's meant to be a compliment when it looks like you've lost five pounds. Just gotcha. any time that you look thinner, somebody's going to throw this at you like, wow, <laughs> you look great. And, you know, we do that so unconsciously to women and you, you know, oh, oh, you're so beautiful or you, you have such a pretty face. Like that's something that we say mm-hmm. as a, oh, it's such a shame that you're, that you're overweight. It's like, wait, the, those aren't mutually exclusive. You can be beautiful <laughs> and have a few extra LBs. You you took a, told a really funny story on, on one of your podcast episodes where you talked about your grandmother was constantly wanting to feed everybody in the household and at the same time telling everyone that they were gaining weight. And it just made me laugh because I've heard it so many times from so many people. It, this is a, a pretty common American story and it makes me laugh all the time. Well, you know, before we leave this, I want to share with you the other side of the coin of what your mother said, because my mother would say to me, oh, you're so beautiful. And I would say, now, is that because I look just like you? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. So I had some thoughts in another direction than what you did. (laughs) So while we're talking on this subject, um, I want to kind of shift a little bit to the idea of of the work you do as an advocate for women's rights. Tell me a little bit about where you see women's rights right now, where where they've been, where they are now, and where you would like to see them go. I would like to see them kind of, I don't want to say keep the status quo because there are certainly certain states in the in the United States that uh, have limited women's rights substantially. But I really do think that it's the right to choose. And and when I say that, I'm not necessarily trying to be political and say that it's all about abortion. It's it's just the right to have control over our bodies and to be able to be uh, women, to be sexual, if that's what we want to do, and just whatever it is that is going to make us happy. These are all normal things that we have. And there's so much out there that says, no, you know, you you can't be sexual. Oh, you're being too modest. Like there's so many conflicting messages. Just let women be. And so for me, I I do a lot of work with, um, with two organizations with uh, Soroptimist. They're an international women's volunteer organization. And they spend a lot of time working on helping educate women and girls throughout the world. And then the other group that I'm involved in is the Cupcake Girls, and I'm currently um, actually doing a fundraiser with them. They're doing their annual cool. fundraiser, and what they do is they help uh, women in sex work. So either they're uh, working at uh, brothels or legal prostitution here in Nevada uh, or, you know, uh, other marginalized communities, and they're, they're giving them help and resources because I think a lot of times women are just uh, marginalized if you're not the right kind of woman, you're not doing the right kind of job. Uh, so I think anything where we can just let people be, that that's something where uh, I will continue to fight for, for those rights to remain intact. Do you feel like those rights are in danger of being eroded? They have been. They've been attacked in many different places. And right now, the the big issue is, you know, who's who's going to take the justice, you know, Ruth Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Bader Ginsburg. I I just wanted to be RBG, you know, Um, and who's who's going to take that spot like that. That is something that is very concerning. But even just knowing that the systematic closures of uh, access to places like Planned Parenthood in certain states. I mean, you have to go out of state in some places in in our country to get birth control or to get life-saving procedures. And I I just think that that's um, very wrong and something that needs to be worked on. You know, it's it's fascinating. I I don't know if you've seen the the documentary um, on HBO, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Have you seen that? I, I have not. Tell me about it. It's a it's a fascinating documentary. It's about a, a lady who is, at while she's writing a book, which is already a big task, she's actually hunting down a serial killer from the 70s and early 80s, and in it, in in one part of it, they were showing some of the, the police training around uh, women who were raped. This particular serial killer was also responsible for almost 50 rapes. And now the 19, mid 1970s, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago. It was 45 years ago. And in it, some of the, uh, some of the attitudes about women were so mind boggling to me because they seemed so archaic. And it was only 45 years ago that this is how 
people, especially in law enforcement, thought they were really placing a lot of the blame for rape on the actual women. And you saw this in the in the film that they were showing some of the interviews and it was noted. And I was just blown away by that. And I didn't know this as well. But at the time, some of the penalties for rape were only about 30 days. So when I think about just 45 years ago, there was these ideas about women in general women's rights have come a long way in the last 45 years. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like it's that long ago, but it also makes me wonder what other parts of our society, like we're ta talking about today with Black Lives Matter and, and other movements, what parts of our society are actually kind of archaic and lagging behind, and they have these really old ideas that are influencing people's rights right now in the moment and in the future. Absolutely. I, that one sounds really good. I'm going to have to try to catch that one. Uh, but it, you're right. I mean, there are so many, so many steps that we have taken in 45 years, but I think there's also been a conscious eroding. I mean, when, when you have uh, a, a group in Congress that's primarily male making decisions on women's rights and you're like, wait, wait have, do you have a uterus? Like, no. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> do, do you know what the, what that is? I mean, even even you know, if you do have access to birth control, it's you know, w what are you doing with this? Why are you do why do you want that? Oh, you can't have an IUD because you're too young. Uh, no, we're not going to give you this procedure, you know, until you go and uh, get psychological treatment to make sure that you really don't want kids. Like, I mean, there's just so many barriers that people try to put up um, as though being a mother is your your only purpose. Well, what's most irritating to me about the whole thing is that everyone knows that if they do change the Roe versus Wade, then wealthy people can go anywhere in the world and have an abortion. And they're just penalizing people who can't afford to do that. I, absolutely. And, and that's the, uh, you brought up a really good point because the economics behind it, oh, that one just gets my blood boiling because it's okay. You don't want to provide resources. And at the same time, you want to saddle people with children that perhaps, you know, they are not able to take care of. And then you're also going to limit resources. So then the cycle of poverty just continues over and exactly. over and over. Exactly. So there has to be, you know, some thought to go into this for those people, but I'm not sure that they really realize it or it's important to them. I think there's a big disconnect because when we're looking at, you know, technically what they make on paper, right, is is one number, but what they're making from other opportunities when they're able to speak, when they start writing their books. I mean, our politicians make a lot of money that is not necessarily related to the job. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Do you find that, um, well, I, we've talked about this on the show before as well, but maybe tell us a little bit about your experience of how social economics has a tendency to play in, in how you see people being treated by the law. It, it's a huge factor in the law. In fact, when I was doing insurance defense work, you know, we didn't really need to worry about where our paychecks were coming from because they were the big insurance conglomerates that that were paying. And, you know, you, you work out those rates. But really, when where I've seen it more is when I made the switch over to plaintiff's works over here at Bighorn Law. Part of what we're providing is a service to the community because there are people who don't have access to doctors. They don't know what doctors to go to or they don't have health insurance to cover some of these needs and uh, they certainly can't pay an attorney an hourly rate. My hourly rate billing is $400 an hour. Now I wish I got that an hour. That's not it at all. That's like, you know, so another part of it, but people can't afford that. And so what happens when you have a medical malpractice case against somebody and, you know, the, somebody wants to get you to pay them a five, $10,000 retainer, that's a ton of money. And so doing personal injury work, we do it on a contingency fee, uh, meaning that we're going to take the risk and we're going to pay everything up front in order to make sure that you're right and that you have access to the law. And a lot of people don't have that. And there's certain areas of law where they're not um, lucrative or accessible to people because of the finances behind it. I can certainly see it. And I really want to thank you for sharing that with us today. We're going to uh, continue the conversation um, in just a few minutes. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about something else that uh, 
that really has affected, I think, so much of the, the landscape of the U.S. here and really around the world. We're going to talk more about this, the idea of pivoting and what it means for you as a human being and what it means for a business when we come back in just a couple of minutes on the Imagine More Success radio show. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. You're back on the Imagine More Success radio show with Cynthia Thomas. We've been having a really great discussion today. I feel like we've been all over the map, which is great. That's what I was expecting. That's what I was actually really looking forward to. We're crossing some really big topics today, haven't we, Cindy? We have, but you know what? It's so exciting to speak with a bright, intelligent, gorgeous female who has broken so many barriers and doing such a great job with her life, right? Absolutely. We're actually talking today with Siria Gutierrez, who is the co-host of the Pivotal Moments podcast. She's attorney at Bighorn Law in Las Vegas, Nevada, here in what I like to call the motherland. And uh, we've been we've been touching on quite a few topics today. We talked a lot about therapy. We talked about mentorship. We've talked about um, identity. We've talked about self-acceptance. And I want to talk a little bit more in this segment about pivoting, because that has been a buzzword in the business world for the last, say, at least nine months, everyone's saying that we have to pivot, especially heard it quite a bit from people who are entrepreneurs. Uh, the way that you did business nine months ago has changed significantly, or maybe your market just changed, or maybe if you're lucky enough, nothing has changed in your business. But one thing has certainly changed, and that is people have changed because their experience has changed. Syria, as you've gone on this journey of listening to people's stories, how do you uh, what have you learned about how people are beginning to pivot? I, I think that, that people are pivoting in so many different aspects. And it, sometimes it's just that little nudge that they need to make a decision that, hey, they've been on the fence for a really long time. And what this pandemic has done has said, made the decision for them and said, no, nope, uh, actually, you know, you said you were going to leave this job. Guess what? This job is now gone. That decision has been made for you, um, you know, <laughs> and trying trying to find the positive in those aspects. Right. But really just seeing that uh, that this is an opportunity for a lot of people to reflect on where they want to make those changes. And some people are seizing the moment and other people are still waiting uh, because they're, they're holding on to what used to be. We're, we're never going to go back to that, that world before. I know everybody wants to go back to normal. I don't, I don't really know what that means because we have all changed so much uh, as a result of this, you know, uh, global trauma we're going through. And, what what's going to be new and how is it going to be in the future? I'm not really sure, but I'm excited to find out. That's such a great point because life is change. And this is just one of those huge changes in mm -hmm. the big scheme of things. Yeah. We talk about in a, in a physics aspect, you know, there is no such thing really as, as stasis, right? There's a, it's a constant, constant changing in the world, in our lives. Even if you did everything the same like you did the day before, you're one day older. You've had one more day of experience or one more day of life on earth. Things are changing. And that's what I think is kind of funny is that people 
and and I'm one of those people as well. <laughs> I just felt like it was I, my life was kind of on on train tracks and it was just going in a direction and that 2020 was actually going to be predictable. And I guess that's one thing I forgot is that life isn't always predictable or maybe it's never predictable. <laughs> you know. Yeah, um, no I think you're right with that. I mean, my my co-host Melissa introduced me to this quote, which is "Change is inevitable, but growth is optional." And you know, it's I by, by John Maxwell, and it's absolutely right. It's like, yeah, you know, we are all going to go through changes. We're all going to go through, you know, just one the change the regular life cycle, right? Changes of aging, going through puberty, young adulthood, all of those things. But learning and growing that's going to be an option. And it's, it's up to people whether or not they want to take it. I can say I personally have had a lot of growth during this pandemic. Um, but it's because I've, I've had to do the work on it and make sure that, um, that I'm no longer holding on to stories or things that aren't mine to hold on to and letting things go. And that's a big job to do. So let's, congrats let's, on that. Yeah. Let's talk about Thank that. You. What exactly do you mean by holding on to your stories? Explain that a little more in depth. I think that there's one thing to talk about my trauma and it's another thing to be that like that that's something that happened to me. And I think now, you know, being older, I'm actually having a birthday in a couple of weeks. I'm like, okay, so, you know, that is looming. And just knowing hey, that just because that's what happened to me, that doesn't mean that I need to still be so affected by it. I, there's a way for me to move forward and know, hey, this is something that impacted who I am and is certainly part of it, but it's not the whole story. I'm not just those things. And so that, that's why, you know, I go back to, I'm not just a lawyer. I, that's one aspect of of who I am. I'm, you know, I'm multifaceted. I've got so many different things and so does everybody. And I just want people to really uh, appreciate how much they have going. A lot of people just stick to one identity, which, you know, we've talked about a bit already. And uh, what happens when something challenges that identity? What happens when your child doesn't want to live with you anymore and your whole identity is being a parent? Um, what happens when it's just, you know, your identity is being the only child and then your parents are gone? Like, mm. we, we need to really um, think about those things and realize, no, we're multiple things. You know, I think for 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 the person who is um, maybe involved in acting, maybe that's a, a great a great place to start. Someone who's involved in acting or who's a musician, they have a chance to try on different identities, and for for them, it seems totally natural, and it's it's a really fun kind of process. But for the average person, the idea of trying on another identity doesn't necessarily uh, play well with their, their idea of being authentic mm -hmm. in your experience. What's the, how do those two play together? How can you be authentic and yet still try on other identities? And I don't even know that it's so much as trying on other things. Like if you didn't get a chance to experiment and try different things on in adolescence, when is, we're supposed to have that de developmental growth, I think it's more about accepting some of those things. So for myself, I, I love singing. And I stopped singing in the shower. I don't know why it just happened at some point. It dropped off. And at some point I was like, why, why am I doing this? Or I love drawing and just being a creative person. And I had this, I had this reckoning happen, you know, um, not early in the pandemic, but a couple of weeks into lockdown where I was like, why am I denying myself this pleasure, this joy of just doing things that I enjoy. Singing in the shower is not for anybody else but me. And why did I stop doing that? So really it's, it's more of that, that integration of being your whole self. You know, it's funny. My girlfriend always tells me that when I sing in the shower, it's actually for her and me. It's not just, <laughs> <laughs> she makes me laugh when you say that. Oh, <laughs> oh that cracks me up. Um, there is something about you that I wanted to hit on just for a moment because I, I think it's really cool. You're actually a huge fan of a, of a specific TV show, uh, and I wanted you to touch on that for a moment and tell me uh, a little bit about, about your favorite show. 
Oh, my favorite show. Thank you so much, Thomas. Uh, he, he said that I wasn't a nerd, but l- let me tell you, I disagree <laughs> with that because I'm very nerdy. My favorite show is the TV show Supernatural, and it is uh, finally ending after 15 seasons. Is it really? Oh, my yes. gosh. 15 seasons and I absolutely love the show I love the fandom and just there's um, there's a lot of positivity in there and if you guys haven't seen the show it's on Netflix you guys could try to catch up or there's plenty of content for you guys to watch (laughs) and the main actors are really really nice to look at Um, Jared Padalecki (laughs) and Jensen Ackles they are they're phenomenal, but they're also really good people, and they've done a lot of charity work and have raised a lot of money for mental health awareness. Um, Misha Collins is the head of the Random Acts organization. They've raised money for uh, families during COVID. Before that, they were raising money for um, people all over the world in different circumstances and just really trying to make it a better planet. And so that there's just so much that has come out of the show that I, I could not say enough good things about it. I love it. I had a chance to uh, to meet Jared Padalecki, and he was and his wife. They were both so nice, and uh, it wasn't long thereafter that I had met you. And uh, it just it, it's just so funny. Yeah, they're so nice. I actually watched some of the episodes, and uh, actually a really fun show. And it's it's one of those things that does have some dark elements to it, but it was, uh, it's also <laughs> just super entertaining. It was really cool. So I was glad that you yeah. introduced me to that. Well, I'm glad. And it's, you have one on me cause I haven't met his wife yet. I'd love to, I follow her on Instagram, but. <laughs> and wasn't she in the actual show as well? Is that. She was, that's where they met. They met that's on they met. set and, um, she was also in, oh, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the show. Um, she had a couple other ones, but they're actually in a team up again in Texas, um, Texas Ranger and Walker. Yeah, that that one's getting rebooted. (laughs) Cool. So we had to catch up on a little bit of TV talk today since uh, I've watched more TV in the last two weeks than I watched in the last two decades. But uh, not to let you (laughs) – that could could be like four hours worth of TV. Um, (laughs) So I want to hit on one other topic today as well. You have an amazing gift for the guests today, which is a part of an Instagram promotion that you're doing. So take a moment and tell our guests what you have in store for them. Yes. So right now we are doing a promotion on our Instagram page for Pivotal Moments. It's Pivotal Moments HQ. If you guys go on there, find the promotion post right now. I am for my birthday month and actually the whole month when you guys listen, uh, I am giving away some of my favorite books. And right now it's Felicia Day's Embrace Your Weird, along with a Ruth Bader Ginsburg blank journal that goes with her book because uh, Felicia Day's actually she was on Supernatural and she wrote this workbook that kind of goes through a lot of like therapy exercises but really it's a creativity book and if you guys go on there go ahead and uh, follow like and put in hashtag imagine so that way I know you came from this show I'm going to do a separate drawing just for your listeners oh I love that wonderful cool uh tell us a little bit about that book um that you're giving away yeah, so Embrace Your Weird is is a workbook, and it really is about just unleashing that creativity that we all have, and without without any kind of judgment, because I think a lot of people just, they stop doing something that they enjoy because they're not you know, having a ton of followers already, or they haven't cut a record deal. If you like it, continue doing it. If you like writing, continue writing. If you like drawing, continue drawing. And the way that she goes through the workbook actually helps you just just kind of practice. And she'll give you some random prompts and other things and just see where your mind wanders and see what tools that you have already and what you can play with. So I, I just think it's a phenomenal book. And she's a phenomenal person uh, who who does a lot of good work as well. And yeah, she's she's definitely one of my one of my nerd crushes. I love it. I love it. I think it's I think it's such a, a cool title, Embrace Your Weird. I, I just love the concept of it. And uh, you know what? When as more and more people do that, you'll find there's more and more standouts. Uh, more and more people do something that's meaningful to them. And that's that's what our show today has really been about. You know, finding out what's meaningful to you. You know, let yourself become more than you think you can be or let yourself explore a topic that you didn't think you could explore or 
give yourself the, the time to do what the name of the show is to imagine more success. And that's uh, that's a really big message here on the show. And, and it, Siri, it sounds like that's been kind of a, a, an overriding theme for your adult life. Absolutely that. And I think when we touched on it earlier, giving yourself permission to do these things just because just because they bring you joy. You don't, you don't need to have a whole other reason for it. If, if it's something that you enjoy and you know, it's not harming anybody else, obviously um, <laughs> continue doing it. Like have, have fun with it. I mean, we're, we're only on this planet for such a short amount of time. Um, I, I want to spend it doing things that bring me joy and with people who bring me joy. And how can people find your podcast? Uh, they can find us on all things podcasts. We're on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Uh, they can also visit our website, Pivotal Moments HQ, and all of our uh, links for everything are up on our website. And that Beautiful. again is your that website. Is, that is pivotalmomentshq.com. Siri, we want to thank you again for joining us today. Um, we want to thank you for listening today as well. We really enjoyed having Siri on as a guest, and we're going to have another wonderful guest next week. We want to invite you to take a look at some of our past episodes where there's free gifts for you in every single episode at imaginemoresuccess.net. And if you'd like to take a moment and visit uh, findhiddenmoney.com, you can also learn how you can begin to integrate your new thoughts and your new new ideas into ways to make more money in this very challenging economic time that we're in. And as always, we want to remind you to realize your dreams and to imagine more success. 